Well, good morning, Hillcrest. Good to see you again. Thanks for all you do, partnering together into the mission field that is Escambia County. It is exciting to see what God is doing, as Pastor Jim mentioned. Hillcrest is one of our 60 churches as we are partnering together in order to reach this mission field, encouraging our pastors, equipping our churches to help so that we can engage the mission field that is Escambia County. You've heard so much about the moonshot Apollo this past week. Well, for about two years now, we as your association have been in the middle of Moonshot 2030. And this is 100 healthy churches together that can celebrate 2,000 baptisms by the year 2030. And so that's our goal. And uh, together, we know through your efforts and our cooperative partnership in the kingdom, uh, we'll be able to reach that moonshot in the next 11 years, just as we're able to celebrate what was done 50 years ago through NASA. Well, I would say this, if you would open up your Bible to the book of Micah this morning, that's where our text will be. Glad to see you this morning. For those who are gathered over on the Spanish Trail Campus, to Dan and all the family of faith over there, great to have you gathered there to be able to worship with you on that great campus, to be with you a couple weeks ago at VBS as well. Well, I'll say this, since Hillcrest is known for being a friendly church, would you take out your faces and look to the person next to you and just give them the most serious expression that you can? Now, some of you look like you were just electrocuted, (laughs) but nice attempt. The role of the 12, the Old Testament dirty dozen. The minor prophets, the words of these 12 men are not minor because of the importance of their words, but rather because of the shortness of their words in comparison to the major five. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations. Thus, don't merely view these as 12 angry men, but rather as microphones for the message of God. In modern day media, Much of what is written could be really categorized into two distinct areas. One is historical documentary and also momentary commentary. Historical documentary, here is actually what happened. Momentary commentary, here is what everybody thinks about what happened. Often these are blurred together. However, the Old Testament has a similar pattern. There is the historical timeline of events. This king or country did this or that. And most of those historical commentary things throughout the New Testament period could be found in this phase of Israel in the books of Kings and Chronicles. And then beyond that, there is, here's what God says about the same events that are taking place in history. And it is said via the prophets. Thus, there is the historical timeline And there's also God's word through the prophetic commentary. And this summer in the minors, the task that I have been given by your pastor is the book of Micah. Micah is writing and warning within the historical timeline of 2 Kings and into 2 Chronicles. And he is doing so at the same time that Isaiah, Amos, even to Hosea, And all four men, they are seeing the same generation of people. 
They are seeing the same historical events taking place in the community and the country around them. And what they are doing is blogging and posting, per se, thus saith the Lord, to the people either in Israel in the north or in Judah in the south. And in our moments together this Lord's day, we will see three serious principles pinned through the prophet Micah to the people in Israel and in Judah, and then on to its application in our life today. But first, I want to show you a summary of this book. Take a look at the screen. The book of the prophet Micah Micah lived in a small town named Moreshet in the southern kingdom of Judah, about the same time as Isaiah. And both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel had split long ago, and both had been violating their covenant with the God of Israel. So Micah warned that God would bring the big bad empire of Assyria to take out the northern kingdom and come ravage Jerusalem. And he also warned that after them, Babylon would bring an even greater destruction. Like all the prophets, Micah spoke on God's behalf to accuse Israel, or as he puts it in chapter 3, I am filled with strength, with the Spirit of God, with justice and power to declare how Israel has rebelled. And so most of this book explores Micah's accusations and his warnings of God's judgment on Israel. But Micah also had a message of hope that countered these warnings about the restoration God would bring on the other side of his judgment. And if you dive into the book with us, you'll see how this works. So the first two sections of the book develop Micah's accusations and warnings against Israel and its leaders. So part one opens with the poetic description of God appearing over Israel, just like he did at Mount Sinai. There's fire and smoke and earthquake, but he hasn't come to make a covenant this time. He's come to bring his judgment on Israel for over 500 years of rebellion. Micah goes on to name all of these towns and cities in Israel that are the culprits of all of this rebellion. God's coming for them. But why exactly? So Micah picks a fight with Israel's leaders. He says that they've become wealthy through theft and greed. He alludes to the story of Ahab stealing a family vineyard from Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. But also it's because Israel's prophets are corrupt. They're quite happy to offer promises of God's protection to anyone who can afford to pay them. No, Micah says, God has withdrawn his protection from Israel. In the second section of accusations, Micah describes even more how Israel's leaders and prophets have together committed grave injustice. They run the land through bribery, they bend justice to favor the wealthy, and the poor are deprived of their land, their security, and their hope. And all of this is a violation of the laws of the Torah, which declare it illegal to sell land that belongs to families, even if they're poor. And so we find out that God's judgment is going to take the form of an oppressive nation that comes to take out the northern kingdom and Jerusalem and its temple, which will be reduced to ruins. Now these are very stiff warnings, and they're not the final word. Each of these warning sections is concluded with a striking promise of hope. So first is a poem about how God is like a shepherd who's going to rescue and regather his flock, which is the remnant of his people, and he's going to bring them all back to good pasture and become their king once more. 
The second warning section is concluded by picking up this image of the ruined Jerusalem temple. And Micah says this won't be permanent. One day God is going to exalt his temple. He's going to fill it with his presence and fill the city with the remnant of his people. And so God's purpose is to make Israel the meeting place of heaven and earth so that all nations will stream to Jerusalem where God becomes the king of all the nations bringing peace to the earth. Now these two concluding poems of hope, they're very powerful. And the next section of the book actually develops them further in a beautifully designed series of poems that are entirely about the future hope of Israel and the nations. So we learn that after the Assyrian attack, Israel will be conquered and exiled to Babylon. But from there, God will restore his people and bring them back to their land. And then we learn that in the new Jerusalem, a new messianic king from the line of David will come. He'll be born in Bethlehem and then rule in Jerusalem over the restored people of God. Finally, in this messianic kingdom of God, the faithful remnant of God's people will become that blessing among the nations. But at the same time, God will bring his final justice and remove evil from his world. The final section of the book returns to this pattern of warning followed by hope that we saw in the first parts of the book. So Micah exposes again the unjust economic practices of Israel's leaders and how it's destroying the land and its people. And here Micah offers his famous words that summarize what it means for Israel to follow their God. He has told you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is exactly what Israel has not been doing, and so they will come to ruin. However, the book ends with another powerful note of hope. Israel is personified as an individual who's sitting alone in shame and defeat. It's a clear image of Israel's destruction and exile. And this individual is watching for God's mercy, and he begs God to listen and forgive. But why? Why should God listen to and forgive this faithless and rebellious people? Well, the poet offers two reasons. First, he says, because of God's character. Who is a God like you who forgives sin and pardons rebellion? He knows that God's mercy is more powerful than his anger or his judgment. And the second reason is because of God's promises. He says, you will stay true to Jacob and show covenant love to Abraham as you swore so long ago. Now these are the final words of the book. They're an allusion to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family all the way back in the book of Genesis. That all nations would find God's blessing through Abraham's family. But to become a blessing to the nations, Israel must first be faithful to their God. And so this explains this back and forth between judgment and hope in the book of Micah. If God's going to bless the nations through Israel, then he must confront and judge the evil among his people. But his judgment is what leads to hope. Because God's covenant love and promise are more powerful than human evil, and his ultimate purpose is not to destroy, it's to save and redeem. Or as the concluding lines of the book put it, God delights in covenant love, so he will again show compassion. He will trample our evil. He will toss our sins into the depth of the sea. And that's what the book of Micah is all about. Now using this springboard, I want to lay out for you three serious principles that I hope will guide the strides of your next week in both personal reflection as well as public interaction. Number one is this, is that we must take God's word 
seriously. Now, for those who would welcome a definition of sin, as was probably not a word that you used this past week during Amazon Prime shopping, here's the definition. Sin is breaking the moral law of infinitely holy God. And when reading of their actions, our current culture today in 2019 might ask, well, what's the big deal? I mean, why so serious? They were just going for the best deal at all costs. They were living life for their happiness on their own terms. They were quite comfortable and they were actually just making a religion comfortable for their schedule. And yet, the tone of this prophet Micah seems to indicate that their behavior must have been quite serious. Now, I want you to think back to the last time you went to some public venue, whether it was a concert or a ball game, and you encounter someone who tries to boss you around a bit. Hey, don't go this way. You can't do that. And you begin to think, who does this guy think he is? I mean, you're trying to find your way, do your own thing, trying to find yourself to your seat, and some guy wearing a button or a t-shirt like it's some suit of armor tells you, no, don't go this way, don't go that way. Hopefully you didn't experience that this morning. But upon hearing such words, you think, hopefully not say, but you think, hey, button boy, who do you think you are? Lighten up, not that big of a deal. Well, as such was the attitude of the people and the leaders in Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Everybody was walking this way, and so they would think, doesn't God want us to be happy? Lighten up. Micah, why are your words so serious? I mean, who does this Micah guy think he is from that agricultural farmland all the way out in the west? And such was the comments and the questions that shaped their conversations. But it does not take long into the book of Micah to find the answer to that question is why. Chapter 1, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came. Throughout the book is repeated the words and the plans of God. The Lord is doing the Lord is saying, thus this is not button boy that's making a suggestion. This is not some guy who just got a t-shirt backstage who now wears it out and says, everybody has to follow what I say. No, this is the Lord God. This is the same Lord who shaped the universe. This is the same Lord who breathed life into humanity. The same Lord who oversaw Noah and the flood. This is Ten Commandments God. Ten Commandments Lord. This is the same Lord who brought down the walls of Jericho after a seven day long parade. And it is that Lord who is speaking here. That Lord who established the universal laws that determine what is right and what is not. It is that Lord who established and made all of creation and whom all of us are under his jurisdiction. And what he is saying, whatever he says, must be taken with complete seriousness. Now parents, I want you to imagine giving clear instructions 
and boundaries to your children. This is the way, walk in it. Only for them to respond, are you serious? I mean, I'll consider it, mom, dad, if it's convenient. I'll participate in what you say if it fits my schedule. If the outcome benefits me, okay, I'll do it. Now, such a casual response from your children might tempt you to apply the Board of Education to their seat of understanding. But may I ask, do you give a similar response to your heavenly Father? Do you read the Lord's clear word and hear his voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. And only for you to respond, are, are you serious? I mean, Father, if it's convenient for what I got planned this next week, I'll participate if it fits into my schedule. If the outcome benefits me, then I'll adjust. My unique situation, though, exempts me from what you're saying in your word, right? God, I'll just wait till you count to three, and then I'll do what your word says. Would your behavior and how you and I hear and heed the word of God be closer to Israel and Judah's than we would probably first publicly admit? Friends, viewing the word of the Lord as casual and treating any sin that we commit as really, it's not that big a deal. That's what Israel and Judah did in Micah's day. It is really a declaration to God. God, we really don't take you that serious. Let's just do a test for a second. Love the Lord God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive others in Christ, just as the Father has forgiven you. Now may I ask, do you take these words as serious? Are they just a suggestion that maybe they'll fit in if they're comfortable? Do you apply if convenient? Or do you say, okay, God, that's what you said. I'm just gonna take up this cross daily and I'm gonna follow you. This is not button boy at a ball game. Or an usher who just might can say, here's a suggestion. This is the Lord. And because of who he is and what he has done, we should take this with infinite seriousness. I can just imagine Micah in this day. Listen up. The Lord is speaking. The word of the Lord came. In the New Testament book of Romans, it reminds us of this. For whatever was written in earlier times, like in Micah, it was written for our instruction, 
so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, say it with me, church, hope. Therefore, the quantity and quality of hope that we have in this life and whatever we face is in direct proportion to how seriously we hear and heed the word of God. Struggles in marriage, in parenting, finances, on the job, whatever it might be, God has delivered a significant and sufficient amount of hope to the doorframe of our home. It's up to us if we bring it into the residence of the patterns of our life. And so, the quantity and quality of hope that we have in this life that we carry with us is in direct proportion to how seriously we hear and heed the word of God. Verse one, the word of the Lord came to Micah. So we must take God's word seriously. Number two, sin has serious consequences. I went to elementary school up at Inslee Elementary and on the rare occasion I got in trouble, a note made its way home. Somehow, before text and email, I still don't get it. A text made it home. And I would receive some form of consequence from, from my mom. Go to your room and think about what you've done. No TV, some other form. And so I would head off. But as I would head off, I would hear those words that would cause many a kids to shudder. Wait till your father gets home. Now, were you to skim back through the book of Micah and focus on God's response to the sinful behavior of which the people of Israel and Judah participated, you would see that they were about to experience some very serious consequences. Your father is on the way. And I think you could properly categorize their fair consequences under the headings of destruction and punishment and isolation. These are not pleasant words. You can't put lipstick on a pig. This is just the reality. Let's consider a couple examples. Chapter one, verse six and seven. For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire and all of her images I will make desolate. Chapter two, verse three, another example. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks and you will not walk haughtily for it will be an evil time. Again, no pleasant way that I can interpret this. Their twisting of religion into their own image, their greed, their abuse of the poor, their abuse of children, their reversal in this society of what is right and wrong. And Micah is bringing them the note, father's not happy, consequences are coming because of your sin. Friends, God views our life with infinite seriousness. He views our relationship to him with infinite seriousness. He views the choices that we make with infinite seriousness. 
and he justly gives out consequences according to his infinite holiness. So let's consider being late for class, not listening to button boy. Not good, not that big a deal. Breaking a city or county law, that's a big deal. Breaking a federal or international law, that's a really big deal. But breaking the moral law of infinitely holy God, hmm. who formed us and to whom all the universe is under his jurisdiction, that is an infinitely, seriously big deal. May I remind or inform you of the New Testament words, for the wages of sin is death. See, God doesn't look at our actions and say, that's okay, you're a good guy, good gal compared to those who are around you. That's okay, you attended a church or donated to a charity. That's okay, you live in the country with one nation under God on your coins, so don't worry about your sin. Friends, God does not sweep our sin under a rug. If God swept our sin under a rug, he would not be just. Our society today has justice on almost every day's headlines. People are demanding justice for any group and every group. And that demand for justice to live in a just society is rooted in the DNA that our creator God, who is infinitely just, placed within us. But his standard of what is just does not shift based upon political purposes or media news cycles. It does not flip based on governmental legislation, on what country you are in, or what the latest vote in your culture was. His holy moral law is unchanging, and we are accountable to it. And there are serious consequences when we break it. And Micah is giving the people of Israel and Judah a warning. Father's consequences are coming. You need to get ready. Your sins have already condemned you. Now I want you to imagine Israel and Judah's response for a moment. No, this won't happen to us. We're God's people. Actually, chapter 3, verse 11 infers that mindset. Don't say that, Micah. That's not politically correct. That does not make me feel good. Who are you to judge, Micah? And their response in the 8th century BC reflects the same attitude and response of many today in the 21st century AD. Don't judge. We're in the nation of one nation under God. That won't happen to me or to us. But we are in this present culture that pursues happiness over holiness, moral freedom at the expense of holy boundaries. Thus, don't judge. But Micah was not judging here to Israel or to Judah. He was warning them that God had already, past tense, done the judging. And they needed to get ready for the corresponding consequences. And history tells us indeed they did come. 
The Assyrians came, invaded Israel, brought down the capital of Samaria in 722 B.C. The Babylonians came and brought down the capital of Jerusalem and all a part of the Judea in 586 B.C. History tells us this. Their cities, they were destroyed. Their loved ones were separated from their families, hauled off into exile. Ever heard of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah, part of all that. Separation, destruction, isolation. And the action of God here in the Old Testament where God takes sin seriously and gives serious consequences, it's actually continued into the New Testament as well. Many of you could probably quote John 3.16. And in that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, beyond 16 into 18, Jesus went on to say that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, Why? They had already been judged, already been condemned. And the coming condemnation, it was not going to happen for 70 years like in Babylon. The judgment of sin was going to be for eternity. Jesus describes the coming calamity in the New Testament, the destruction over sin. It would be eternal. The punishment will be eternal. The isolation will be eternal. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you're trying to put two and two together, yes, Jesus is talking about hell. The Apostle Paul, he echoed these verses in 2 Thessalonians. He said, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, all my years in VBS, I don't think this has ever been the theme verse. Friends, all of us have sinned. We've all acted unjustly. Every single one of us are like Israel and Judah. Have you held higher affections for something other than God? Have you lied, lusted, held anger in your heart, coveted the possessions or relationships of another? Then you're in the same boat as the people Micah was writing to. Thus, we all have God's punishment heading our way for the wages of sin is death. The base of the gospel is not that we are good people going to heaven, but that we are sinful people going to hell. That we are more wicked than we could ever imagine. But we are more loved than we could have ever dreamed. Which takes me to number three, God supplies a serious savior. The more famous verse of Micah's letter is in the sixth chapter in the eighth verse. He has showed you a man what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Yet we, like Israel and Judah, who knew this, we knew what we ought to do, but we just don't. We know that God has written his law, what we ought to do, on our hearts. And we feel the tension in our culture when life's not fair. And yet we break it routinely. And God has a word to say about your life and mine. Sin is serious. 
Sin brings, sin, such behavior brings serious consequences, deathly consequences, and also he delivers a serious savior. Now for Micah's audience, God promised them that after they had experienced the consequences for a season that God would gather them back there to the promised land. Like a shepherd gathers his sheep, like a father gathers his children. Nehemiah led that rebuilding project. Yet there would be another day, a future day, when an eternal Savior would come who would deliver God's people from their sin for all eternity. Look in Micah chapter 5. Here's what the text says. But as for you, Bethlehem Epaphrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she is who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Church, where is this one coming from? Bethlehem. He is the one who will be our peace. Who is this? Yeah, the one to come, the one who came is Jesus. Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will treat our iniquities underfoot. Yes, he will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. For in such an eternal hope is possible, not because God is going to ignore our sins and say, oh, that's okay, you're good people, you're giving people, you're serving people, you're church people, no. But because a savior came, who took all of the consequences upon himself. So to gain a picture of the seriousness of your sin, you only need to look at Jesus hanging on the cross as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you realize that the consequence was meant for me and you. And God's holiness demands the serious consequences to the degree that Jesus had to take the punishment and the destruction and the isolation on himself in order to meet them. For Micah, he heard the word of the Lord. And he took it seriously. He loved the people around them to warn them. He knew the seriousness of sin and its consequences. And so he pointed people to the promised hope of heaven along the way. Could, could the same be said of you and me? Are you taking the word of God are you taking your sin seriously or casually? When you hear God's word, hear his standard, would you say, what's the big deal? This is 2019. Lighten up. 
Or would you be one who would say, oh God, forgive me? Are you trusting in Christ for your salvation? Sin is serious. It naturally and rightly brings condemnation from a just and holy God. But God has supplied a serious Savior. And the invitation from the cross is will you put your faith and trust in me? In 1984, there was a heavy fog that set in on a London freeway. Cars started to slam into each other. Ultimately, 20 people were killed in that car accident. As the fog rolled in, warning lights began to flash. Police came up. They put out traffic cones just to hope to slow the people down. But people were busy seeking to get to work. They didn't want to miss being at work. And so they rushed past the warning lights. They rushed past the cones. They went into the fog and into the crash. One reporter remarked of that policeman that with tears in his eyes, he picked up traffic cones and was chunking them at the windshield of the people that were driving by, hoping to slow them down. Friends, what Micah is doing here, what Jesus is doing when he came, what the word of God says, And what we are to do as ambassadors of heaven is to pick up the gospel like traffic cones and just throw it at the eternity of those who are around us. And as Micah and Jesus have thrown the gospel at the windshield of our lives as we are driving towards eternity, may you take his warning words seriously. Hear the word of the God and walk in them.